It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I couldn't be more honored to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Tony Hughes. Tony is uh, an author, a speaker, a blogger, based in Australia, but with a worldwide reach. Uh, and we're going to talk about how to modernize selling. Is really one of the topics and things we could do better in terms of providing insight and making sales more customer-centric in a true sense. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. I'm a real fan of the podcast, and thanks for having me. Oh, thanks. Thanks for thanks for coming. So, just take a brief minute, introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, so I'm based in Sydney, Australia, but I work with clients all over the world. I've been in professional selling uh, or running companies for three decades now. Um, uh, in 2005, I uh, actually came up with my own strategic selling uh, methodology, which is the subject of a, of a book I ended up writing and publishing in 2010. It's a business bestseller. It's in its sixth printing. Um, the Joshua Principle is the name of the book. Uh, and then in 2012, I went out on my own to uh, finally go and pursue my dream of being a management consultant, helping other companies. And I've been out doing that for three years. Uh, and about 15 months ago, I had a real epiphany uh, in the way that I went to market myself and started to really embrace social media platforms, especially LinkedIn, and, and adopt a, a content publishing, pay it forward kind of strategy with my own IP. And it's been transformative. And what I typically do now with a lot of clients is really help them get, get clarity uh, in their own messaging and the value that they offer the customers that they serve and modernize the way that they go to market to really help them move away from this uh, interrupt and push model to instead really attract and engage a marketplace and take concepts like insight or challenger selling and actually uh, have a pragmatic view of how you can implement it in the real world. All right. So let's let's dive into that. So let you get it off your chest. What's wrong with selling? And then we're good. You've got no. You've got some some statistics and some ideas. You really want to talk about there? Yeah. Well, pr professional selling is certainly getting more difficult. Um, and I'm going to talk in the context of business to business selling. So we all know there's the, the, there's different kinds of selling, but but my specialty is really business to business and enterprise selling. The really scary thing is that anywhere from between forty percent to two thirds of B two B salespeople miss their numbers. Now the, the, those stats are from Corporate Executive Board and also TAS. Uh, and that is a really high number. And when you look at the cost of running uh, either either an, uh, an an inside salesperson or a field salesperson, that is a lot of lot of money. And when you add to that the whole problem of commoditization, everyone's product, service, or solution over time drifts toward being a commodity. There's more competition. The margins get get thinner, and you just can't afford to run field sales forces. So. Um, the, the, the reality today is that uh, by 2020, and it's only four years away, um, according to Gartner, 85% of business-to-business -business transactions are going to be conducted without human intervention. Now, that's not the process of winning and onboarding a new client, but as far as businesses buying from other businesses, only 15% of the transactions are going to require people. But the really scary statistic is um, Andy Hoare about uh, seven months ago from Forrester published a really interesting report, um, and their, their research indicates that 22% uh, of sales roles are going to disappear within four years. 
Um, now, I actually think it's 30 to 40% of salespeople's roles are going to disappear. And the simple you know, reality is it's going to, the jobs are going to go because they're not going to be able to create enough value for both buyer and seller to actually be able to fund their existence. Sellers today are busier and more stressed than ever. They're not lonely. They're not looking to make new friends. They're not wanting to entertain professional visitors that want to come and see them. So, you know, you're, the you're, talk, you're talking question, about buyers are busier than ever. You said sellers. Oh, I said I think sellers. You Sorry, I do mean buyers. You're yeah. right. <laughs> so the, 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 so the, reality, the reality for seller is that they've got to have absolute clarity about what problem is it that they help that person solve. Um, sellers, you know, are really looking for greater value out of fewer relationships is, is really one of the trends out there. And if we get involved in opportunities where they're in buying mode so they can make decisions quickly – the problem with that is is we're usually a little late to be able to influence things, um, you know, and we get commoditized. We we get blocked from talking to power. Um, it's difficult to to win those opportunities. And if we adopt a more strategic view where we want to engage early, the appetite within businesses today for those long term investments, I think, is getting smaller as well. So. The sales profession is getting squeezed and salespeople have got to get much better at creating value. They've got to get much more efficient in, in how they go and create their own pipelines and really progress the sale and differentiate themselves. Okay. I mean, you're, you're talking my language because that's my most recent book, Amp Up Your Sales. It's all about selling with value and, and how that is a differentiator for you as the salesperson. The first line of differentiation is you, the salesperson, not the product and the service. So let's let's talk about uh, an article you'd written about, um, actually, before I do that, let's, those statistics about the salespeople, I, I find sort of interesting. You know, the, um, certainly on one hand, it's believable, right? As, as, as Rackham pointed out in his book back in 99, you know, Rethinking the Modern Sales Force, he said quite distinctly, this has happened. If, if the channel doesn't add value, the channel's going to go away. Yes. And that's true. So that's really the challenge, as you succinctly put it, for sales reps. How do you continue to be in a value-creating, a value-providing role for the prospect, trying to make a decision or a choice? Um, but at the same time, we're talking about this shrinkage of the business-to-business sales force. We also see the specialization of the sales force in the business-to-business side, where you know, we've got the sales development reps, we've got the account execs, you know, people are focused on prospecting and bringing the leads in, people focused on you know, discovery, qualification, closing. And in those models, those are scaling so quickly that actually they're having a hard time finding enough people to fill those roles. So I, th- yes. I think that's an interesting conundrum that on one hand we're saying, look, uh, you know, not necessarily the sky is falling, but you as a sales rep, you've got to be committed to professional development and being able to be able to be a value creator yet otherwise your job's going to go away but on the other hand we've got this whole sector of the the jobs they can't fill the jobs so how do we reconcile that well there's there's definitely different types of sales roles and and in andy hoare's research he actually broke it up into four different areas and um if someone is simply an order taker a third of those roles are going to go away if there's someone who's simply um, is a relationship manager helping the buyer navigate their own selling organization, 15% of those will disappear. Um, if they're a tactical uh, field BDM kind of role, a quarter of those will go away. The only role that's going to really grow uh, in in field selling is really people who are truly strategic. Um, so the, obviously what's behind what you just described is uh, selling organizations finally, finally bringing sales and marketing together and really thinking about the buyer's journey 
and mapping that against the sales process and then thinking, how do we go ahead and deliver great, great buyer experience where that ends up becoming customer experience if we win them and bring them on board? But how do we create great customer experience engaging the way that the customer wants us to? Um, because the simple reality is, you know, often people don't want to really talk to a salesperson. They may want some information that they may be looking for some insight and doing some research. It, it doesn't mean they're ready to have that salesperson conversation. So, um, automation is massively Im- Im- important. So, marketing automation systems, and then having some form of CRM where you can have a single source of the truth to help track buyers' journey and have those right touch points. So. Um, I, I definitely agree with you, and you know whether it's pre-sales people that do demos, it's it's people that architect solutions, um, it's people that go and do the whole discovery process. Well, it does make sense to break those up if you're a large organization. But the reality is, for many many selling organizations, they don't have the luxury of scale, so they have people that need to essence, you know, really be a jack of all trades. So the 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 the, the terrifying thing is that ninety five percent of buyers expect insight from the person that's selling to them. And yet, according to Forrester, 85% of sales engagements fail to meet the expectation, and 86% of sellers fail to differentiate. Yet, if you asked any seller, do you differentiate when you go sell, they would say, hell yes, that's the main thing I'm paid for. <laughs> I am the biggest point of difference, but but the reality is it's just not the case. In the eyes of the buyer, most of the sellers all look pretty much the same. Oh, of course. Yeah, and I, I that was the whole thesis of my, my first book, Zero Time Selling, is, mm. is that that's exactly the situation you're in, and yeah, I, 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 I'd may push back a little bit. I don't think most sales reps really think about it as their job to differentiate, right? I mean, I think that they think about me in the context of product and service, but I think most haven't gotten the message yet that they are that initial point of differentiation that's going to really, and oftentimes, make the difference between having an opportunity to win the business or not. Yeah, look, it's 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 very true. And the reality is for any salesperson who thinks that that they can continue in their role by being someone who just provides information, they are delusional. Their, their job is going to go away because buyers can obtain information easily without the salesperson. And the reality is buyers don't really trust the information from the salesperson. Well, um, yeah, given the, the training yeah. level of most salespeople, why would you, right? Well, but but also they they have an agenda. They want you to buy their thing. So you know, I, I know for myself that the last six major purchases I've made in my life, I've made my decision about what I'm buying before I turned up and talked to the salesperson. I went and met the salesperson to validate some things and to negotiate. I, I didn't go to actually um, form my opinion about which product it was that I was going to buy. I went online. I went to. To, to user groups, I went and saw what unhappy customers were saying. I had a look at what analysts were saying. I, you know, I, I went and found my information from what I regarded as trusted sources. And most people don't regard a salesperson as a trusted source of information if they're not yet a customer. Right. Well, I mean, you you touch on a point that's that's really interesting there because it start, starts touching against this issue, which you know people will fight to the death over uh, over especially in the last year is okay at what point in their buying process do the buyers engage with the sellers and yes. so you're describing one scenario where in your own experience you've gone most of the way through your buying process before you engaged with the seller and then we have the whole other side of the argument which is uh, serious decisions and others saying no 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 business to business Customers actually even more relying on salespeople these days throughout the entire funnel, starting at interest development. 
Yeah. So if, if, if we look at that basic buyer's journey, you know, they, they go from being untroubled and unaware to considering change, then building a business case, then doing market research, then going into an evaluation and selection process. And obviously, marketing tries to make sure that their company pops up in that market research phase and the salespeople try to make sure they differentiate and execute well in the evaluation and selection phase. But, you know, that's tactical reactive selling. I, I really regard that as sort of hell, as, as a place to live as a salesperson because you're denied access to power and you're, you're working to someone else's agenda. Strategic selling is really about getting involved before the business case uh, and even, you know, before they formally consider change. It's that untroubled and unaware phase. And that's where if you can run a good attract and engage strategy with with content marketing, I believe that that for salespeople to assure their own futures in their individual career, they've got to become good writers, that they've got to attach their own personal brand to people of credibility in the eyes of their customers, and they've got to create insights. Um, because you know the whole term of challenge or insight is really pretty cliche, um, but the reality is if you want to sell strategically, you've got to engage early, and for you to be able to do that, yes, you need the gravitas to be able to pull it off, but you also need to have, be very clear about what the conversation is going to be about. And one of the things I work with people on really heavily is to, again, get away from this model of talking about who you are, what you do, and how you do it, to instead lead with why a conversation would be important and learn to talk the language of leaders. Because insight selling and challenger selling is, you know, it's an organizational capability. It's not an individual person. So they've got to be supported with the collateral and everything that's behind it. But it's about talking the language of leaders, which is numbers, outcomes, and managing risk. And what sellers need to do, in my view, is really focus on understanding uh, why their best customers didn't just buy from them over the competition, but why their best customers bought anything at all in the first place. Understand what trigger events occurred in those organizations, what really caused them to consider change. And then when they implemented, what were their challenges and how did they overcome those problems to, to be successful? And the answer to all of those questions will give you the kind of insights that you can take to another potential client. And you obviously do that in a way where you're not breaching the IP of your of your current clients. Right. But, um, you know, I, I spent years, for example, in the customer relationship management software business. I was the managing director in Asia Pacific for, for one of the leading vendors. And it amazed me how many times, you know, either we directly or our channel partners were engaged in an opportunity with a prospective client and there was no clarity at all about why they wanted to implement a CRM system. Mm -hmm. None. And, um, uh, and and I'll, and I'll, maybe we can dig into that a little bit later. Well, but, well I think that's yeah. a, it's a good a good point because I think what most sales reps really don't think about, and this is the concept that I try to teach people, is that there's two things that are going on. Is one is they have to make a decision first about, uh, to your point, whether this is something they need and want and what's the value they're going to receive from it. Yeah. And having made a decision, then they make a choice about who they want to get it from. And if I think if people can conceptualize this idea of a decision and then a choice, it helps clarify, from a sales rep standpoint, what it is they need to accomplish. Yeah, I, look, I, I really agree with that. And one of the things I passionately believe is is that the competitor that every seller needs to obsessively focus on is not is not traditional competitors. It's the competitor of do nothing. It's mm -hmm. it's a, it's apathy and status quo inside the buying organization. Um, in, in working with a lot of big enterprise um, clients, the the sort of stats that I found is that uh, about eighty percent of the allegedly qualified deals in the CRM system or the pipeline uh, end up being lost 
and uh, a quarter, sorry, and one third of those deals that get lost get lost to do nothing. So often what happens is is the customer thinks that they want to go to market to actually buy something or they they think they want to consider investing money in solving a problem, but then the more they dig the more they dig and the more they find out, they they realize either the business case wasn't strong enough or the change management issues are too great, or sellers end up confusing them and they think, gee, we need to go away and think about this more. So you know, really important to anchor, you know, the why and, 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 and the business value to make sure that the customer is going to actually go ahead and really important to make sure that they see us as best value and lowest risk for them. Risk risk is a huge factor in people making large buying decisions. Absolutely. It's the, I think, the number one decision criteria. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our talk with Tony Hughes about value and insight in selling. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Okay, welcome back. We're talking with my guest today, Tony Hughes, Sydney-based sales expert, author, consultant, and we're talking about value. We're talking about insight. So you just had published an article titled uh, "Lead and Sell by Getting Out of the Way," and I mean, first of all, I loved your reference to to the divinals, by the way. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you're my type of guy. You can slip that in there. That's perfect. I love that type of stuff. Um, and, a, and, a, a, and a good Australian rock band. It's, it's and a, a good Australian rock band, which there have been a few. So you know, that's good. Um, so. You talk about leadership, and this is a, a great topic. You know, sales is leadership. I mean, to me, you know, sales is not about persuasion; it's about inspiration. It's about yeah. ins- inspiring people to follow you on, on a particular journey. And whereas persuasion seems more about, uh, I don't know, motivation. You know, but it's 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 not really the same, right? I agree with you. The, the 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 mere term persuasion to me implies manipulation and um, selling should not be about manipulating a person in any way, shape, or form. It's it's about being a passionate, true believer in the value that you offer somebody. Um, so we, we all know that people buy from those they know, like, and trust. And in, in my view, the very first part of selling, it's the transference of belief. So, you know, the first challenge for any selling organization is to make sure that the salespeople aren't just going through the motions, but they that they believe in the value that they offer and they absolutely believe that, that they are best value and lowest risk for every potential client that qualifies up correctly. Well, um, how do you, you instill know, one, that belief? Uh, it's 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 a case of making sure that you're focused on the outcomes that you deliver for clients. So let me just give you a little practical example. Um, I was the sales director for a public uh, corporation here in Australia, and we provided document and records management software mainly to government. And the business case, um, sadly, <laughs> was really just a largely business case on compliance. Um, and if 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 you're selling something and it's just compliance as the business case, there's never enough money to do it properly. Mm-hmm. So the so the challenge we had was was to help our clients 
clients build a stronger business case to get proper funding to be able to transfer to be able to transform the way that their organization managed information. And what we did is we really thought about, well, you know, rather than what does our software product do, we thought what what problems does it really solve? And and to give you an example, um, th- there was a government department here in Australia in one of the states that ran child protection, and there was a pedophile piano teacher um, that had done horrendous things to uh, three children. Individuals in those cases had written to the department highlighting their concerns and suspicions about this piano teacher, but none of the dots had been joined together. Now, the result of that scandal obviously devastated personal lives, but the head of that government department lost their job. Um, the minister was on the front page of the newspaper, you know, the, the head politician that mm-hmm. was responsible for, for the portfolio. But they ended up in implementing our system. And, and what we did is we worked with our staff to help them understand that it's not just document and records management software. We're helping protect children from pedophiles. We're helping government run the country more efficiently and stop wasting money. We, you know, we help police departments track down criminals more, more effectively. So rather than sort of educating our people about what our product was and how it worked, we made sure they, they had emotional connection to the problems it solved in society and for our clients. And we made sure that we always had a customer come and speak at our annual sales kickoff to really talk about what, what we had done for, for them as an organization and the communities that they serve. And the goal is obviously to create an emotional connection to what people are doing. And I've, I've taken that approach everywhere I've gone. I, I did the same thing with CRM software. It's easy for people to implement the world's most expensive um, contacts database and pipeline forecasting system that no one trusts. But the reality is you can use it to, to, to become a customer-centric organization. You can use it to reduce customer churn. Um, you can you know, use it to support customer lifecycle really well. And you know, what I say to people when they're selling is, is ask the customer, what's occurred inside your organization that's made you think that you need one of these systems? You know, mm-hmm. What's, mm-hmm. what's going on inside here? And what, what, what are the outcomes they're expecting it to deliver? And if the person can't answer the question, you're talking to the wrong person. Exactly. So from a sales perspective, why, why is leading with value, you call that an unnatural approach to selling? Why, why is that unnatural for salespeople? I mean, I have my own opinion, obviously, of interest here, what yours is. I mean, and so, and what should the default approach be? Well, the first reason it's unnatural is because of the human condition, for want of a better term, right? So, uh, whenever you go to a party or a social event, um, when we go meet people, especially when they've had a few drinks, they just they love the sound of their own voice and talking about themselves. So um, pe- people are looking for people to listen to them. Um, and salespeople can't afford to fall into that trap. It's not about us. It's all about the customer. The, the other reason that it's an unnatural act is the selling organization typically trains people in what the product is how it works, how how much it costs and how to go sell it, they don't talk about these are the problems that you're looking for in the marketplace. Um, you know, this is how we go and help people. This is, this is the role. This is what they care about. Um, this is how they view the world. This is what a business case would need to look like in their eyes for them to be able to actually make a, a, a decision. Here's, here's where the risks lie for them. Because, you know, the interesting thing with CRM, and um, this is a really, really terrifying statistic, but depending on who you believe, anywhere up to 70% of customer relationship management software implementations fail. And my view is it's got almost nothing to do with the product. It's all to do with the customer 
and their lack of leadership and change management and lack of clarity about what they were wanting to achieve internally. Because change managing salespeople is like herding cats. So, you know, you know yes, you, you, absolutely. You, you'd better be clear about what you're wanting to achieve if you're wanting to take on, you know, um, transformation inside a sales organization, which is in, in essence what putting a CRM system in involves. Yeah, and I think that, that um, you know, and you refer to this in your, your article, is to me the real point of clarity and I need to try to achieve with salespeople and you know, we've talked about a broad range of things but for really making things other centric is you know I have a question I use and it's similar to the one that you, that you talked about you know the why should they meet with us question yeah and I, I phrase a little bit differently in terms of you know what value are we going to deliver in this sales touch the sales interaction that will move the customer at least one step closer to making a decision that yes. either your question or my question are very similar you have to be able to Answer that question for every single sales touch. Otherwise, you don't know what you're doing. You don't have a plan. You don't have a, a way forward. And this seems to be the gap, right? That I see is that sales managers are becoming sort of uh, data jockeys. Yes. And salespeople are sort of on their own trying to figure out what should I do next. And I think you distilled it very clearly. I'd like to think I did as well. It's just answer this question. Why should they meet with us? What is the value we're going to deliver? And if you can't answer that question, you don't have a plan for that account. It's dead true. And then the salesperson is to turn up to their prospective client and do the same thing with them. Why, why did they agree to meet? What, why are they thinking of implementing this, this kind of product, service, or solution inside their organization? Where do they see the risks? Um, you know, So they're, they're really important foundational questions. And if there is not good answers to them, there's every chance that they'll be one of those 25% to one-third of opportunities that just end up with the customer doing nothing and staying in current state. Well, Sales Benchmark uh, International, or SBI, they came out with a statistic recently, people are quoting here in the States at least, that 60% of sales opportunities in a pipeline go to no decision. So, wow. yeah. so anyway, there's, there's a big number. And to me, that's, that's the sort of ultimate sales failure. Yeah, and here's, here's the exciting thing is that corporate visions research revealed that 74% of buyers will buy from the first to add value, provide real value and provide insight for them. Right. So, so, so that's the opportunity for the salesperson. You know, forget, forget the terms of insight selling, challenger selling, value selling, all of those terms. The reality is you need to understand why people should implement the thing that you're selling, where the risks are how they can deliver outcomes, what the business case looks like. Because if that's your conversation rather than features and functions of your product, service, or solution, that is, in essence, insight selling all on its own. So, so just understand why and then where the risks are and be able to talk that through for them. And even though they'll see your product, service, or solution is pretty much the same as everybody else, the way you're selling is not. And they'll think, wow, th this person has got real insight about helping us d deliver the outcomes we need to, to deliver, to realize the business case we're going to put up. They're going to be accountable to make sure it happens. They're going to work with us as a partner and they're going to help us manage our risks. And that'll be the reason that they'll want to buy. You know, Get them to fall in love with your methodology and people with how you implement rather than just the product itself. Exactly. And I think uh, just to serve a final point on that, that point is that the reason – why people buy? I, I found, and I've I've spent spent a decade and a half selling large, complex communication systems, you know, multi million dollars. 
And we, we'd get to the proposal stage and there'd be these huge compliance matrix that, you know, matrices that ran, you know, 10 pages with 300 items that you had to be compliant with. But the fact is in every single case, I learned this fortunately relatively early on, in every single case, there's one most compelling reason why they were going to buy. There was one source of value they were going to derive from this that superseded all the others. And if you could find out what that was, rather than, and I think salespeople approach yeah. this idea of the reason why and the value the customer is going to receive it too globally. And really, it's much more discreet than that. It's much more discreet. There's usually one thing that's really driving it. And it's not always obvious. So you have to ask. Yes. You have to ask it, that question. It, it's very true. And, and you need relationships of trust with the right people to be able to get the answers. Exactly. And that's, and that's why you know the importance of relationships will never go away for strategic enterprise selling. It's just that relationships on their own are not enough. We, we need to also lead with insight. Excellent. Well, great. Well, we're going to move to the last segment of the show here. Uh, I've got some questions for you that I ask all my guests, and uh, you ready to go? I am. All right. So the first one is a hypothetical scenario I pose to all my guests. You're a new sales leader. You've been hired into a company whose sales have stalled out, and they need to be turned around quickly. What two things would you do in your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Wow. Um, to me, there's two critical things. The first thing is to truly listen to the salespeople. So I would make sure I invested time with the salespeople to understand what they thought it was that was preventing the level of success that, that they and the, and the corporation deserve. And the second thing, which is actually more important, is I would go and understand why our best customers did not just buy from us over the competition, but why they bought anything at all. That's this concept of win reviews. Mm -hmm. A lot of organizations focus on doing loss reviews to, to reduce the number of deals they're losing, and that's fine. That'll, that'll help you compete more effectively, often late in the buyer's process when you're invited in. But strategic selling, by definition, is how do I get in early and start to set an agenda and build a business case with the client? And, and that's about understanding what triggers change initially. Um, and that's why I'd go and understand their very, very best customers. And I'd, I'd, I'd make sure that the salespeople then understood those things because it tells them what are they looking for in the marketplace to build their own pipeline. And it gives them clues about how they can go and differentiate themselves in the way that they sell. Excellent. Okay. So some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. In your own selling, what's your most powerful sales tool or attribute? Uh, it's, ab it's absolutely um, insights, so, so my insights, but then social media, the, the ability to, to uh, attract and engage, to evidence your credibility, to, to set the agenda before you meet. So 75% of buyers in a business-to-business -business world will research the seller before they meet. And the question is, what, what are they going to find when they find you online? Um, and you want them to, to, to find insights and content that sets the agenda for you in the meeting. So it's, it's inside and social media platforms like LinkedIn. Okay. What one tool do you use for managing your own sales that you can't live without? Oh, LinkedIn without a doubt. So there's 400 million people in LinkedIn. Everybody that I'd want to get to in the world is in LinkedIn. Um, just in the last 15 months, I've built nearly 30,000 followers in LinkedIn um, and this whole model of, of, of get away from interrupt and push to instead attract and engage by providing value for people and insight. Um, I've got more business coming to me than I can cope with um, invitations to speak around the world. It's been transformative for me and the clients I work with 
um, to help them pre-deal with objections uh, that you know that they're getting from clients um, to to really develop the insights through content publishing and associating themselves with other credible people in the eyes of the client. Those things have all had a huge impact. Who's your sales role model? Oh, wow, there's so many. I'm a massive, massive, massive fan of of Neil Rackham. I regard him the the grandfather and demigod of 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 professional selling. You know, there's obviously um, Keith Miller and 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 Eads and a whole pile of people. But um, my hero really was Zig Ziglar. He passed away in 2012, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I loved his mantra of if you can help enough people get what they want, then you can have what you want too. And he just promoted a high integrity framework for selling, you know, complete integrity and it wasn't about manipulation. So um, Zig Ziglar has certainly been a hero of mine. Okay. So follow up with that. What's one book besides your own that every salesperson should read? Well, it really depends on their role. So I'm going to give you a longer answer. So if they're a sales manager, the, the book they've got to read is Cracking the Sales Management Code by Jason Jordan. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've met with Jason. Brilliant, brilliant book for any sales manager. And in every organization and the revenue machine that they run, the weak link, without doubt, is sales management. It's not salespeople. It's not their methodology. It's sales management. So Cracking the Sales Management Code, if you're a sales manager... If, if you're an enterprise business-to-business salesperson, I would absolutely read The Challenger Sale and then also The Challenger Customer. Um, so those books really do go together. The Challenger Customer covers some gaps or in The Challenger Sale, but it'll really help you uh, you know, a, adopt a lead-with-inside approach to covering the different people in the organization. Uh, and then the other book is if you're a relationship seller or if you're just getting started in sales, absolutely read the timeless classic Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. It's, mm-hmm. a, it, it's, not a, it's not a strategic selling methodology, but it's an awesome framework for running conversations with people as you sell. Excellent. Okay, great. Good stuff. Um, tough question here. What music's on your playlist these days? Uh, well, I'm really heartened that you love some good Aussie bands. Um, mm-hmm. my, my favorite band of all time is the Eagles. Ah, that's sort of a sad time for Eagle fans with Glenn yeah, Frey just passing away. Yeah, exactly. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? Believe it or not, the, the, I, I try and start the, the, the day by, by having some quiet time on my own own, own and reading. Um, so I really get myself centered for the day. I try to make sure I end the day by planning the next one. Um, but once I get into the office, um, the, the first thing I'm doing is, is I'm in LinkedIn. So... Um, LinkedIn is so, so important for me. So I'm, I'm checking my blogs. I'm responding to people that are posting comments. Um, I'm, I'm building connections. So I'll begin the day with 30 minutes inside LinkedIn. And then the next task I do is I write. So I, I make sure that I write every day. Um, any salesperson that's thinking, how do I create, you know, these insights I'm going to go talk to people about, start to research and write. If you can't write today, you cannot sell. It sounds like a really harsh thing, but you've got to be able to do it. You've got to become a micro-marketer and build a strong personal brand. I agree, 100%. So last question for you. It's, what's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Wow. Um, <laughs> sadly, the most common question I get is about closing techniques. Um, and I'm of the view that closing is far less important than opening. And that if you're having problems closing, it's not because you're a bad closer, it's because you didn't understand the customer's process, timing, and decision criteria. Um, so a lot of salespeople, often driven by their 
um, sales manager putting pressure on them will go and damage business by trying to close people who just aren't ready. So we, we need to understand their priorities, their timing, their process before we try and close. So I, I really try and share that with people that um, stop focusing on closing, focusing on opening and understanding. Excellent. Great. Great answer. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest today. My guest has been Tony Hughes. Tony, how can people find out more about you? Uh, so you can find me at my website, rsvpselling.com. You can find me in LinkedIn. So just search for Tony J. Hughes. Uh, by all means, connect to me, but also follow my blog. I've got um, towards 300 blog posts in there. So everything I, I know, I'm, I'm happy just to share with people. Uh, and also, I'm going to be speaking at the Sales Innovation Expo in London on May 11th and 12th uh, this year. So it's the biggest conference in Europe for, for sales leadership. Uh, so I look forward to meeting anybody that's coming to that conference as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, great. Well, remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is a great way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Tony Hughes, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.